Welcome to the Bill Sang Podcast. My name is Bill Sang, and we are continuing our World of Worldview series tonight with a very important topic. We are going to be talking about family. And right now, you might be asking yourself, family, what does that have to do with worldview? Can you possibly come up with a scenario where, where worldview is relevant when it comes to family? Well, absolutely. I can just point you to our world today, and it's pretty easy to see why the topic of family is now not just a, hey, how do we relate to people sort of issue to this is your perspective on family is shaped by the world that you live in, shaped by your environment. And hopefully by the end of this podcast today, you will know how to be able to take hold of your family and to shape them according to the values that are dear to you and not allow somebody else to be able to shape and manipulate your family members to see the world totally different than what you would like them to. So, starting off in this episode, we're talking about family again. So, what does the world teach about family? Well, popular saying, popular book by Hillary Clinton, the world teaches that it takes a village. You've heard that before. It takes a village to raise a family. To raise a child. And by the way, when they say it takes a village to raise a child, uh, that's only when it comes to the typical family. When it comes to mom, dad, and children, that no, you're not allowed to raise those children by yourself. But instead, that's the scenario where it takes a village. You've got to let teachers to shape your children. You've got to let the person at the grocery store shape your children. You've got to let everybody in the community get their lick at your child because they need to have their opportunity to shape your child according to the world that is around them. But when it comes to the way the world defines it takes a village, well, it's okay if we say like, you know, a relationship between a man and a man raises a child together or a relationship where a woman and a woman raise a child together or any other what you would call I guess orientations or uh, identifications however you might want to put it basically when it's that sort of scenario then you don't necessarily need the village It it can be strictly localized to within the home the world's view is that family does not originate from biology as I just implied right there by those relationships as we know that typically family comes about not typically every time family comes about when there is a man and a woman involved and so that there is biology that's inherent in that the nuclear family according to the world is absolutely toxic and and unfair you might be asking yourself first what is the nuclear family and the nuclear family is basically, like I said before, a husband, a wife, and then children that are brought into the world. And what could possibly be unfair about that? Well, the reason why it's considered to be unfair is because not everybody gets to be raised in that sort of environment. Not everybody is able to have a father and a mother to be able to raise them. And there, it's been acknowledged that there are certain advantages that are provided for children that are raised in that sort of environment that do have the um, the luxury or the blessing of having their mother and their father be able to raise them together. Furthermore, as I said, that it's looked at as being toxic. That this is tradition, traditional trend that should have been gone a long time ago. Why is it that we think that? 
men and women should work together in raising their children? Why is it we should even promote marriage? Why is it that, that uh, we give the man an opportunity to be able to lord over a nuclear family structure? So lots of strange ideas that go into the world's perspective of um, a family. So that was just talking about children right there, though. But then when we get to the idea of children at all, we look at, so, okay, let's talk about raising a family. That's not a topic that many people like to talk about anymore. Children, by today's standards, are considered, considered to be a hindrance, something that you have to put a lot of thought and consideration into. And by the way, that's of course, what the Bible teaches somewhat as well, but the type of thought and consideration is not in terms of how do we plan on having a child, but rather we must consider the consequences of having children because we might be having an environmental impact. We might be destroying the earth by having children. We might be causing ourselves financial hardships by having a child. And the list goes on and on and on of all the things that it could mean to have children, uh, not least of which is that, well, there's the end of our fun right there. We've had children, and now it's the death to our fun. We can no longer pursue a life of happiness, but instead we must focus on on having, on having raising these children instead. And, of course, one of the popular remedies to be able to prevent this from happening is, of course, abortion. Abortion is a big industry today. And lots of people take part in that. Millions of children have been killed through abortion. And so people have been trained to think that there are some severe consequences for bringing forth children today. Marital relationships. Well, marital relationships are looked at by the world as something that are temporary at best. Um, that basically you don't need to have a husband. You don't need to have a wife. And by the way, I know there are people that are single, and I don't mean for this to come across offensive towards them. And in fact, I, I commend and uh, respect people that are able to go their lives as a single who honor and serve the Lord in that capacity. But of course, uh, today, marriage is looked at as something that is bad, unless, of course, you're one of the exceptional groups outside of the traditional family structure. The uh, traditional marriage is considered something to be, man, we need to talk about this. We need to really lecture you if you say the, if you support traditional marriage values. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, Chip and Joanna Gaines years back had an incident where their church happens to support traditional marriage and support organizations that are for traditional marriage. And so the world came crashing down on them in criticism saying, how dare you stand for the traditional marriage structure? When people do get married in this day and age, they kind of think of it more in terms of the Disney sort of model. And it's kind of funny I say that because that's how we used to look at it back in the day, uh, is that people were looking for the Disney sort of marriage. The the Prince Charming finds the the um, finds the maiden, the damsel in distress, and they get married and live happily ever after. And of course, nobody is perfect. And because of that, when you find out that your husband or your wife is not perfect, then it's okay to just totally depart and leave. Of course, and once again, like I said, the 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 perspective on marriage is that marriage is temporary and that's okay i mean after all what's a promise it's just words so it's not a big deal if you break your promises or not 
So, having said all that, that's an awful lot of negative, I think, right there regarding how to view family. And by the way, that's not my perspective on family. That's how the world views family. It's a very negative um, sort of, uh, a very negative sort of structure this family thing is. But the biblical perspective is completely different. It's, it's totally on its head in terms of the structure of family. That the biblical perspective of family is that family is designed and ordained by God. And so I'm going to open up the Bible here. I got my Bible in front of me. And we are going to look at some passages inside the Bible to back this up. And of course, the very first one I'm going to turn to is in the book of Genesis. So if you want to follow along with me, book of Genesis, we are opening up uh, to the creation of man and woman. And this is in Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, starting in uh, verse 26, it reads, Then God said, Let us make human beings so that they are like us. Let them rule over the fish in the seas and the birds in the sky. Let them rule over the livestock and all the wild animals. And let them rule over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created human beings in his own likeness. He created them to be like himself. He created them as male and female. God blessed them. He said to them, have children so that there will be many of you. Fill the earth and bring it under your control. Rule over the fish in the seas and the birds in the sky. Rule over every living creature that moves along the ground. So right there what we see is that the Bible clearly teaches that mankind is designed in this very particular way. That a man gets married to a woman and they bring forth children. What the Bible tells us is don't worry about destroying the earth. Having children and having family is not going to bring about the destruction of the earth. In fact, God commanded, go forth, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And by the way, I am giving mankind power to rule over the animal kingdom as well. So Genesis 1, very important um, very important in terms of understanding how God designed family. <clears throat> in Genesis 3, we have a little bit of a look at the woman's relationship inside of the family structure in relation to her husband. And in Genesis chapter 3, a curse is placed upon mankind because of original sin. And um, inside of this, we see that the woman's relationship to the husband is affected. And so when we turn to Genesis chapter 3, let me find um, let me find the right passage here. When he talks to Eve, it starts in verse 16, actually is verse 16, where it says, The Lord God said to the woman, I will increase your pain when you give birth. You will be in great pain when you have children. You will long for your husband, and he will rule over you. He will rule over you. Okay, so there is a longing put inside the woman for her husband. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, what it's telling us um, is that because of sin, your husband will rule over you. And um, that takes a little more theological depth to be able to go into that. But what we see is, is there's, there's this inherent longing for her husband inside of a wife. And so we see that, that women and men are designed for one another. In fact, there's a similar passage inside of Genesis 2, where the man has been created, which is Adam, and then God says that it is not 
good for man to be alone. Let me find that one real fast so I can read it to you here. I didn't actually write that one down. So looking to where God says it is not good for the man to be alone. So it's Genesis 2.18. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. And so we see that men and women are designed for one another. And it's not too hard to figure that out. We see there's compatibility between men and women that does not exist between man and man and woman and woman. Um, and so it is by God's design that it is like that. Proverbs 18. So I'm going to turn to the midpoint in the Bible in the book of Proverbs. So Proverbs chapter 18. And we are looking at verse 22. Proverbs 18 verse 22 says, The one who finds a wife finds what is good. He rece receives favor from the Lord. So that's very encouraging that, that when you find, as a man, when you find a wife, that you find what is good. And as I was implying before, vice versa is true as well. When a woman is able to find a good man, she finds also uh, what is good. So we talked a little about in these uh, passages about the relationship between man and woman. Now let's go to uh, how we should view children. So we're going to turn to Psalm 127 to look at the biblical perspective on children. So Psalm 127 And I am looking at verse 3, where it says, Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. So children are not something to be worrying about the consequences of having them. Rather, children are to be embraced, that they are said, according to God, to be a blessing, a reward. And so when you find yourself with child, you once again find yourself with something that is good. And indeed, it's something given to you by God. Now we're going to switch it around. Now we're going to look at how children should view their parents. So we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 is where we are going. <clears throat> Galatians, Ephesians. So Ephesians chapter 6, and we're looking at verses 2 and 3, where it says, Scripture says, Honor your father and mother. That is the first commandment that has a promise. Then things will go well with you. You will live a long time on the earth. And so some very profound wisdom given to us here by the Bible, by God's word. Essentially that if you obey your, your mother and your father as children, that things are going to go well for you in your life. That it's promising long life here. And of course, you know, there, there are factors that go into that as well. But essentially that... If you are willing to take the wisdom from your parents, you are receiving something that is good and it is going to be it's going to do you good throughout your life. And so this relationship between husband and wife is good. This relationship between wife and husband is good. The relationship between children and their parents is good. Now we're going to change things up a little bit. And actually I was Debating on how exactly to go about this next one, but I'm going to do. I'm going to switch it a little bit from how I have written down. We're going to go to the Gospel of Luke now, and actually, I'm not going to read all of this. But inside of the Gospel of Luke, chapter three, <clears throat> we are given the genealogy of Jesus, 
And Jesus, of course, he was born of Mary, and his stepfather, so to speak, was Joseph. And we are given the genealogy of Jesus going all the way back to Adam. So we're going all the way back to Adam to trace the genealogy of Jesus. And what I really like about Luke's gospel with this genealogy is it links Jesus to the very first human, which for one shows that Jesus is the savior of all mankind and not just the Israelites, not just the Jews. Um, but furthermore, it also uses this genealogy to show the brotherhood of all mankind, of all humanity. And that's a wonderful thing to see that in one way or another, we are all related. Um, having said that, we do have to be careful. We don't want to look at ourselves saying, well, we're all God's children. Therefore, yeah, it could take a village because if we're all God's children, all of us, all of us got a spark of the divine inside of us. So why not just let anybody raise our child? Why not just let anybody teach our child? After all, everybody has something valuable to contribute to our children. Well, when we turn to the Gospel of John, so just a little bit to the right of Luke, we turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. <clears throat> we are going to be looking at verses 12 and 13. So Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. The Bible tells us, that some people did accept him. And of course, it's talking about Jesus right here and did believe in his name. He gave them the right to become children of God. To be a child of God has nothing to do with human parents. Children of God are not born because of human choice or because a husband wants them to be born. They are born because of what God does. So I'm also going to throw in here that the Bible gives a very strong foundation for adoption. Because right here what it's saying is that God, when we have faith in his son Jesus Christ, he adopts us as his children. And likewise, as, as human beings, we are able to adopt children as well. And they become our children. Not, not just adopted children, but they become our full-fledged children. And that's how God sees us as well. When we have faith in Jesus Christ, we become his full-fledged children through adoption. So we have to ask ourselves a question now. So who is right when it comes to these different perspectives on family? Is the world correct on it or is the Bible correct on it? Well, I want to, I want to turn us toward nature for a moment. All animals have a social order and social roles of some sort. There's no denying that. And each species, each kind of animal has its own social structure. Humanity, for the past couple thousand years, has had a social structure that has been superior to that of animals. Not all social structures in nature are viable. Mankind's thus far has been. But what are we embracing now? We're embracing a social order that discourages having children, that discourages having bringing forth offspring. And that's exactly what the social orders inside of nature are all about. They're all about bringing forth offspring. But you see in the animal kingdom that you have the social order of the lions where they have a pride and they have their alpha male and they have their family that's being raised inside of that pride and but then you where there's there's safety security and all that but then you also have the mantises the mantises that all eat each other that they mate and then the female eats the male and then they have then the female has babies and eats all of her babies except for the ones that are able to escape so some social orders are viable and so other social orders are not viable and 
where the worldly perspective on family is going is not a viable social order. And I'm not appealing to nature. I'm not appealing to any other authority. I'm just saying the proof is in the pudding here. Ultimately, where do we turn to find out which structure is better? And it is the biblical perspective on how mankind should raise their children, on how we should view family, how we should view marriage. Everything about our relationships should be taken from the Bible because we see that the worldly perspective is destructive just in so many ways. It breeds a society where there is no forgiveness. It breeds a society of contempt, of bitterness, of victimhood. All these bad things brought because we cannot view, in by the worldly perspective, uh, we cannot view the world in a positive light, ultimately because the worldly perspective teaches survival of the fittest. Social orders can only remain superior if they are carried out according to God's design. And so we must put our faith, we must put our trust in the way that God designed things. We must embrace our families, embrace the nuclear family unit, uh, we must embrace marriage. We must embrace the idea of having children. We must embrace our parents even. And so we must adhere to God's word and God's, God's command when it comes to family. I'd like to thank you for joining me for this episode of the Bill Saying Podcast. Again, we were talking about family today. If you like this episode, share it with a friend. I think it's a very important episode to share with your friends as it gives the biblical basis of family on many different levels right here. We just touched on each one of those levels just a little bit. We'll probably have a future episode where we talk a little bit more in depth about each one of those. And we also talked about the worldly perspective as well. And I think that the worldly perspective is actually the toxic perspective in this instance. And so if you like this episode, share it with your friends, like, share, and subscribe to it. You can find our episodes of the Bill Sang Podcast on iHeartRadio, on Apple Podcasts, on YouTube, Spotify, uh, Buzzsprout, Rumble, wherever you can find podcasts, you can find them there. So feel free to share this episode with your friends and family, and may you be able to enjoy your family tonight. Once again, Bill Sang Podcast. I'm Bill Sang. Have a good day.